Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. To that sermon done, we go home early. But no, I think there's more we can be said. We can really reflect on that. Today, as you can see, the songs, the Word of God are telling us the same thing over and over again, and it's a powerful message. And I want us to just really sit in it and sink in to what it's actually trying to teach us. As you know, that in this world, things are not as secure as they seem to be right? Like our banks, for example. You put your money in the bank and you think, my money's secure. I picked the best bank in town. They have a great reputation and all feels good until the day that uh, some economic crisis happens and everybody runs to the bank to get their money all at once. And what does the bank do? Shut their doors because they can't give everybody all their money all at once. They loan it to other people And so our money isn't quite as secure as we tend to believe sometimes. I also think, for example, our personal information. Take that. You you work really hard at coming up with the most complicated password you can come up with. And you work at memorizing it. Isn't it hard to memorize those passwords? And and you feel like, I found the most complicated 18 letters and symbols and numbers and capital letters. It's like, no one is going to figure out my password. Until you get that email that says, oh, our systems were compromised. Your password is out there now. You have to change it. So it's not as safe as we think, right? And and take the very ground that we're standing on. You feel like, hey, this feels very solid. We're good. This This is secure. I feel secure. But what do we know about our ground? Sometimes it shakes. You know, we drive our freeways every day, and we feel like that's a nice, safe area, and we We maybe don't even question what's beneath us and the security that it gives us. We go on bridges, very high bridges, and we think nothing of it. We think we're fine, we're secure until the earth shakes. And within seconds, that which feels secure comes down. During the earthquakes, you see the damage to our freeways. And could you imagine driving on a freeway like that, going about your business, listening to your song, and all of a sudden, something like this happens? Or this next picture, which is in the San Fernando Valley. How scary is that? Sometimes the things we count on to be secure are not. And when all that comes crashing down on us, the sense that our security isn't as secure as we think, right? We feel so vulnerable. Today, the message I want you to leave with is that there is one security that we have that will never, ever fail us. And that security is the security we have in Jesus Christ. Yes. Listen, when I was writing this message, I'm sitting by my computer writing away, and I'm talking to myself. I'm going, amen, hallelujah, Jesus, you're good. I'm like preaching. I'm worshiping. I mean, it just moved me. And I already see it's moving you. So today, don't stare at me, all right? We're going to talk, all right? I need you to say amen, hallelujah. If you want to stand up and raise your hand, you just get very active because what we're going to study today 
It's so moving and so powerful. We can't just sit there and take it in, all right? So I'm going to call on you, and if you're feeling a little sluggish, wait for it. It's coming, all right? Now, Paul starts with these words. He starts telling us, we know. I mean, I got stuck on that. I was studying for this passage, and I was literally waking up in the middle of the night hearing, we know, we know, we know. I thought, how curious that Paul started with these words. We have been studying the letter to the Roman church, chapter 8, for a few weeks now. And Paul is saying, we know some things. We know these things. And what have we learned? We learned from the beginning that there is no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, that deserves an amen. That we are set free from the power of death and sin because of what Jesus did on the cross. And that was something to celebrate. Hallelujah, Jesus, that is good. And the following week, we learned that the Holy Spirit, he leads us. He leads us towards life and peace. The flesh, however, leads us towards death. And we learn that we must seek every day to be led by the Spirit who will always lead us to life and peace. And we said, amen, hallelujah, that's good. Then we learn, yes, we learn that the Holy Spirit confirms our adoption as children of God. That we can cry out to God in our most deepest needs, Abba, Father, Daddy. That we can have that kind of intimate relationship with our Creator. And that blew our minds, that we can be that close to God. And we said amen to that. And last week, we talked about suffering, the reality. We, we, we talked about suffering, but that there would be a future glory, that whatever circumstances we deal with today, whether you're in a high time or a low time or everything in between, whatever happens in life, we are guaranteed by the Spirit. The Spirit is our down payment. We are guaranteed a future glory. And the glory that we're promised blows my mind because the glory we are promised, broken people, is the same glory that only one deserves, and that is Jesus Christ. His glory, we are promised that kind of glory. And that blew our minds because how could we, broken people, deserve such a gift, right? And we said, amen, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And today, Paul says, we know. He begins with, we already know this. You already know this. He uses the word for know in Greek. There's two words. One is like an experiential know. You know because you have experience. Like, for example... I know that if I stepped a little further in this platform, I'm going to fall and hurt myself. That's because I've come very close a few times. So I know by my experience that I probably should stay back a little bit. I know that. It's sort of a progressive knowing. You know it as you experience. But the know that Paul talks about here is a different word. Not ginosko, but oida. And that word means to know by perception to know almost instantly, and to know completely at that point. It's not progressive. Once you know it, you know it. An example, you look at the chair you came in today. You walked in to come to church. Probably, if you're not new to the chapel, you've got your spot. you got your peeps. You're like, there's my spot over there. And you start walking your way to your spot, and you have your little chair there. And you just plant yourself in that chair. You do not question or think about whether or not that chair can hold your weight, right? 
You don't stop to think about that. You know by simply, and if you're new, you know this too, by simply looking at that chair, it looks solid, it's got nice wood, it can hold your weight. You didn't, you didn't measure it, you didn't test it with but some weights, you just knew. By perception, you knew, and you sat. Paul says, we know in that way. Almost by revelation, we know and we know completely. What is it that we know? What is it that Paul now te- leads us to knowing? He says, all things work together for the good. We already know this, that all things, how many things? All things, some things? All things work together for the good. We already know this. He says, all things, meaning the highs, the lows, any circumstance, whatever you're dealing with, every season of life, every situation, every struggle, every joy, all things, they work together, like in synergy. They work together to accomplish a purpose, the good, a good, a particular good, not just any good. And he doesn't say all things are good, because do we know that all things are good? No, some things are not good. And you might be right here dealing with something that is not good. And I would not want to make you think that somehow it's okay that you're going through that. But God says, all things, even the difficult things we're dealing with, he works together for a particular good, for the good. And what is this good that Paul is talking about? It's that we will be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what he says next. This is the good that God intended for you and for me, that we would become like his son, that we would be transformed into the very image of his son, that day by day, no matter what's happening in your life, that we are being changed, molded, transformed, and adjusted and moved towards more and more looking and acting and behaving and thinking like Jesus Christ. That's what God intends for every person who believes and trusts in Jesus Christ. That's his plan. You know, that's his plan from the beginning. If you open up Genesis chapter 1, the very first passage, it says, in the beginning, God created. It says that. In the beginning, God created. The word for God here in Hebrew, it's not a single, it's a plural word, which is fascinating because it gives us a picture of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit together. They created everything. And it says the Spirit of God hovered over the darkness. And God said, let there be light. And from that point, God set in motion this plan of his. And Paul uses these words. He foreknew. He predestined it to happen. He called you. He justified you. He glorified you. All along, from that point, God intended to glorify his children, to make them more and more like him. And what's amazing is that we were created to be in perfect relationship with God, and we rebelled because that's us, and we sort of separated from God. And did that stop God? No. He put into motion, we see all in history, this plan of his to seek out his children and bring them back, bring them back into unity with him. Draw them close so that that purpose of his would be accomplished. When God sets his mind to do something, oh, he gets it accomplished. You know, I got a husband 
who like, when he sets his mind for something, whoo-wee, I cannot get in his way. And that's just a human. But when God sets his mind, nothing can stop him. Amen? Amen. Okay, you're talking. This is good. And why would God do this? It says in Ephesians chapter 1, this. It says, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself. Now, you read this with me. According to the good pleasure of his will. Now, let me give you some insight here. He says, according to the, what pleasure? His good pleasure, right? Pleasant, good, all that entails. Pleasure. Pleasure means good too, right? Something good. The word for will there, that is thelema. It's a Greek word that also means pleasure. For the good pleasure of his pleasure. God did this because it gives him pleasure. It pleases his heart. To work out all the things that we deal with, everything, everything, that we might become like his son. It is out of God's good pleasure. I was looking for an amen right there. (laughs) Amen. Amen. That God would care for us so much that it would please him so much to do that for us. You see, Paul is making the point here. You know this, he says. You know this. Once you are saved by grace, you are saved once and for all. Forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. It is done. You cannot fight that. Listen, there are people who have this fear that they could lose their salvation. That they live in this terrifying thought that, no, if I do one more thing, If I do that thing one more time, that's it. That's when God is finally going to give up on me. And, you know, they they use Scripture to justify these thinking. And I do believe there are passages in the Bible to help us stay on track. Because, you know, we are children, disobedient children. And we go astray is what we do. And there are passages that bring us back to this truth and this reality. One of them is Jesus' word himself. In Matthew 11, Jesus said, These words, oh my goodness, where are my notes? I'm all over the place now. (laughs) Here he goes. He said this, Matthew 11. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Passages like that can be scary. Because what if our heart were to grow cold? Does that mean we lose our salvation? That's not what Jesus was intending. Yes, it intends to keep us on track. When Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it means stay on the path. Finish the race well. Live according to the salvation you've been given. We need that reminder because we tend to forget. But that is not the same thing as to say that we could lose our salvation. Because Paul himself said, you have been saved through faith, not from yourselves, but it is a gift from God, a gift, a gift that God will not take back so that you cannot boast. There is not a thing you do to receive salvation. All of that is done by God, by his grace, by his love as a gift. Amen to that. Amen. Listen, all you have to do is look at God and how he cared for his people. When you read the Old Testament, You see that God created a nation, the people of Israel. 
And he put them together as his people. He says, I'm going to be your God. You are going to be my people. And he makes kind of a covenant with them, a contract with them. You do your part, I will do my part. Do they do their part, those of you who read the Bible? No. They're like doofuses, man. I mean, they're constantly disobeying, going the wrong way, whining and crying. You brought me here to die. I mean, they do. They just whine. God gave them everything, and they still disobey. They worshiped other gods. They married people from other nations. They did everything God told them not to do. Did he leave them? No. Yes, God punished. Yes, God sent them away. Yes, God dealt justly with them. But listen to these words. Paul says this. He says, the gifts of gods are irrevocable. Irrevocable. Yes. I love that you're talking. This is so fun. So fun. He says, you are secure in Christ. You cannot lose that. The words, listen to this in Romans chapter 11. He says, God did not reject his people. This is Paul writing. Did they stumble? As to fall beyond recovery, Paul says, not at all. They could not go that far. God still loves his people. Israel is still his nation. They are his children. God doesn't let go simply because we let go. He pursues us. That is the God that we have. We cannot lose his love. And you know, my son is here. I'm going to tell a story. I didn't ask him. So sorry, honey. This is the problem with being a PK, you know, a pastor's kid. You get used in an example all the time. So he was a young teenager, and he and his buddy were so creative. They were, like, doing all kinds of experiments, and they found a bottle and, I don't know, some alcohol of some sort and a rag, and they went out in the middle of the street to build this Molotov cocktail. I mean, and they thought, this is going to be so much fun. This thing's going to blow up. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. And we caught them, and man, did they get in trouble. I took my son by the ear, went home. Uh, The other parents took her son home, and I'm like, punishment. I don't know what I did. I think I took things away. I sent it to his room. I mean, there was all kinds of punishment. But did I stop loving my son? No, of course not. The other kid, I can care less about it. It's like, go away. Don't ever come to my house. Go away. Don't even show up anymore. You're the smart one. You came up with this. I was so protective of my son. And you know what's amazing about God? He not only does that for us, his children, like I did for my son, but he also does it for those who are not yet his children. He does it for the one who is still rebelling. Because I know this myself. I did not become a believer until I was 40. I I was doing my thing, my way, and, you know, and the highway too. I was just doing my thing, and God pursued me. He did not leave me that way. He didn't send me away. He didn't say, done with you. I'm only going to take care of my kids over here. No, no. He's not like us. He loves us. He doesn't let go. He will not let you go. He loves you that much. And you know, Paul says this. What then are we to say about these things? What's, what more can we say? That should blow our minds. You know, in the Psalms, there's this thing called a selah. It's a, a moment to like take a minute and reflect on what we just heard. Because, you know, some truths are so profound, we might hear them in our minds, but they need to come down into our soul. They need to penetrate 
deep into our hearts. And we have to stop for a second and think about what we just heard. He says, you already know this. What more could be said? You got to pause for a minute and worship. You have to pause for a minute and go, oh, God, thank you for this truth. And I want us to read back what we read earlier as part of our worship set. This beautiful, responsive reading. Let me read over us these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the resurrection of his Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have been born anew into a living hope. We have been given an inheritance. Now, you read this with me. That will never pass away. Yes. So now let's read this part together. Blessing and glory and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Father God, we pause. We pause to worship you, to praise you, to thank you. What a profound truth. Let it not get stuck in our puny brains. Let it go beyond that into our hearts, oh God. How amazing you are that you love us this way. That there is nothing we can do, Father, to be separated from your love. That we are your children and that you are working in us a new thing. You are transforming us. You are changing us. You are guiding us. You are saving us by your grace. Father, we pause to give you the worship. You deserve all the praise. There's nothing we have done to deserve this. Only your love and your grace has done this. So we just pause to give you praise because you deserve it. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's give God a hand. Can we do that? And we think the sermon is done. We think, okay, Paul's done. I mean, right. He says, what else can be said? We're done. Let's go home. It's been a long day. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He keeps going. He says this. If God is for us, who can stand against us? Because we might think, well, okay, God is really for us. There might be some people who can take us out. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his only son. He didn't spare his most precious possession, but he offered him. He chose to offer him for us all, for anyone who would trust in Jesus. He offered him. And now how also would he not grant us everything? What does he grant us? Everything. If he's given us his greatest thing, why wouldn't he give us these little things that we ask for? They're nothing compared to the great gift he's given us. If he's done that, whatever it is that we're struggling and dealing with is so small in comparison. He can handle that too. If he is for us, nothing, nothing can stand against us. Now listen, if you are here and you're a little sleepy and you miss everything I say, I want you to remember one word, nothing. Can you say it with me? Nothing, nothing can separate us. He says, he gives us everything. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? Anybody? No, 
Nobody, Paul is saying, God is the one who justifies. It is he who justifies. It is Jesus who died and gave up his life, but also was risen again. We're going to celebrate that in a few weeks. And then Paul goes here in verse 31. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Who can do that? Who can separate us? And he lists these long things. Affliction, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. Now, those things are a big deal. That's a big deal. If we're dealing with a hard time in our lives, if we're struggling with an illness, with a hopelessness, with depression, with anxiety, if we're, if we're feeling vulnerable, if we're desperately hungry for something and we're not feeling fed, when we're in those places, when we're persecuted for our faith, those are desperate times. And we might lose our sense of God's love for us. We might feel disconnected from it. We might feel like maybe God stopped loving me. I've counseled people who come to me and say, I, I just don't feel it. I, I, I don't feel I don't feel God's loving for me. This is how could God love me and this happen in my life? How is it possible that God's love is still with me when when I'm experiencing so much pain. And if that's you, I want you to know this, that while we might lose sight or sense of God's love for us, that does not mean that God loves ends. It does not. Yes, amen. It does not mean that his love has ceased to exist. That love is still there for us. Just a few weeks ago, I heard a story of a young man who was arrested in Iran. He was strapped to a table, and the goal of these interrogators, they interrogated him for hours, was to get him to renounce and give up his faith in Jesus Christ. And so what they did is they poured very cold, icy water onto his feet and heightened his sensation. And then with a stick, they beat his feet, trying to get him to give up the faith. Now, I have to say that when I first heard the story, I, I mean, I think it hurts. I can imagine it hurting, but... I didn't get the gravity of the pain that they, this man was experiencing until he said this. He said, after a number of beatings, I started to lose my faith. Now listen, this is a man who had been evangelizing all over Iran. He was bringing Bibles ever. He gave away thousands of Bibles. He was discipling. He was bringing people to Christ. He was on fire for the Lord. This is a guy, when he came, you knew he was going to talk to you about Jesus. He was so passionate. And in that moment, he felt, God, if I get struck one more time, I will have to denounce you. He was that hopeless. He was that desperate. And just as he felt the next blow should come, he smelled the aroma of man's cologne. And he smelled the smell, and it, was, it filled up the room, and the beating stopped. A few weeks later, he went to his uh, hearing where he would hear his sentence. And while he was waiting for his sentence, in enters a man, and he could smell the cologne all over again. That man was the one who caused them to stop beating him. Just when this man was at the brink, God sent him an angel to stop the pain. See, God knows your situation. He knows your challenges. He's not blind to your pain. And you might think like, wait, God, why aren't you here already? But his timing is always perfect. 
He knows exactly when he must come in. We may not understand, and we may feel we can't take another step, but he knows when to come in, and he does. He is faithful to do so. Nothing can strike us away from his hand. Even if we let go, he does not. That's the God we serve. Amen? Amen. That's why we shouldn't fear. And that's what the prophet Isaiah wrote. This is words from God through the prophet. 700 years before Jesus, he says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous hand. Isn't that powerful promises? That's the God we serve. That's why David can say in Psalm 118, The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortal do to me? When we have this understanding, we understand that there's nothing, nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And then Paul gives us this long list because you think, okay, Paul, you're done. Okay, we got it. We got it. But he doesn't stop. He says this, I am persuaded. I am sure of this. I have no question about this. I have no doubt about this. He says, neither death nor life, angels or rulers, things of the present or things of the past, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing, nothing, nothing, say it with me, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Listen, he says, things from this earth, things from heaven, things that are outside of time, things that are in any dimension, things we can see, things we cannot see. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We must stand on that. Yes. Yes. You see, Jesus said these words in John chapter 6. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me. That's what Jesus said. He will lose none but that I should raise them up on the last day. And listen, when God sets his mind on something, he accomplishes. David wrote these words in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold in my life. Whom shall I dread? We have nothing to fear. We don't have to fear losing the love of God. We don't have to fear losing our salvation. When we recognize that truth, we cannot help but want to worship and praise and serve this amazing, loving God. In that peace and that freedom, we know that we can get through life knowing his promises are true. And if you're struggling here today and you're hearing the enemy, listen, the enemy will point his finger at you. If he's not in the throne of heaven going, well, you know Johnny down here, let me tell you about him. He did this last week. If he's not doing that, he's talking to you. Like when you're in your little quiet time or you're you're driving along by yourself or you're in that dark time and the enemy's sitting there, see, ah, you did that again. Mm -hmm. I knew you. I knew you. This is who you are. There's no way God loves you. And you said, I don't know about you, but there are moments, and you got to be with me here because I don't want, I'm going to go vulnerable. There are moments where I think thoughts, and it's like, oh, I thought that. I can't believe I thought that. Or I, I, I did that. I, someone tests my patience. I mean, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing. And I do the wrong thing. 
And then right there is the enemy going, gotcha, gotcha. And if I actually one day can, can power through it, he goes, no problem. I'll see you tomorrow. I'll see you again. I don't give up. I'm going to be here at pointing my finger at you every single day, pointing out all the things that you're doing wrong. That's our enemy. He's always accusing. But does he have the power to take away the love of God? No. That's right. He does not. He does not. He has no power. So here's what you can say to the enemy. This is a practice I've gotten into. Whenever he catches me, and he does, I always say, yes, I am broken. Yes, I am weak. Yes, that was wrong. I'm not yet the creation that God intends for me, but I'm on my way. I'm on my way. And so are you. That's, that's the posture we must have when we recognize that we cannot be separated from God. We want to believe that. We want to trust that. And if you're feeling today like, I, I, I like that you're like, your passion is, I'm all with you, but I'm not with you. Like your heart, whatever your situation might be, listen, sometimes you have to go on borrowed faith. Sometimes your circumstances are so hard or your, your pride or whatever it might be that's holding you back from accepting this truth might require you to go on somebody else's faith. And through that season, you will be overwhelmed by God's love. Like, would you just be willing to open up your mind and your heart to experience this radical love that God has for us? Would you be willing to do that and let God in all the way in? Because this is what's going to happen. We have rest for our weary souls. Listen, the world is hard enough. We already struggle with so much. And when we're trying to perform our way to earn our way to God's love, we're trying to add things to the cross, that's exhausting. That's exhausting. And if you've tried it for any moment of time, you know it. You've tried and tried, and you cannot earn your way to God's love. Stop. Rest in his love. That's why Paul ends with these words in verse 37. In all these things, we are, let's read that together. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know that word conquerors? It's a Greek word, hypernikomen. In the middle of that word is where you get the word Nike. Anybody wearing Nike shoes today? Out of that Greek comes the word Nike. And this Greek word hypernikomen means to rule over, utterly defeat overcome without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, absolutely conquers. He says, we are more than that. We are more than this type of conquering. That's how conquering we are. We can rest in that truth. No trial, no struggle, no doubt, no suffering, no person, no accusation, no sin can keep you from God. That sin has consequences. I'm not saying it doesn't. And I'm not saying we should work towards work towards letting the Spirit leads us. That's what we learned a few weeks ago. Yes, let the Spirit leads us, but nothing can separate us from God's love. Amen? Amen. So I want to leave you, lastly, with the words of Jeremiah. This is in chapter 31, verse 3. Hear this. As the Father speaking to your hearts, I have loved you 
with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued to extend faithful love to you. That's God. Yes. Amen. Receive that love. You know, the word for love there is hesed, is loyal, faithful, unending, concrete, secure love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Receive that love. Let it overwhelm you by his grace. Now we have to respond to a God that does some things like this for us, right? We have to like worship him. We have to converse with him. Some of us are probably saying, okay, God, I have to talk to you because I'm struggling right now. I need a conversation with you. I need to leave some things behind. That's why here at the chapel, we create space for you to talk to God during the service. The service isn't over. It's actually part of the service where we invite you to get up from your seats and go to the cross. Remember, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we can confess and we receive grace upon grace upon grace. And we ask him for the power to overcome the sin in us. We ask him to help us stop those behaviors that are getting us down in the wrong path. We do that because he loves us. He wants that for us too. We come to the candles where we Maybe you might be in a dark place right now and you need hope. And we come, we light the candle. We ask God to give us hope in the dark moments. And if it's not for us, maybe we light it for someone else. Someone who doesn't know Jesus. Remember, God loves the children of God. And he loves those who are not yet children of God. Because he wants everyone to be a child of God. And so we light those candles, ask God, pursue my brother, pursue my sister, pursue my neighbor, pursue my husband, pursue my father, bring hope to them as well. And then we have the communion where we remember God gave everything to us, his son. He gave his body for us. That's what the bread represents. He gave his blood, he shed it for us that we might be washed clean. We take the bread. We dip it in the cup. We take it in. We take that truth into ourselves that it might permeate our being, that we might be filled with His Spirit stronger today than we were yesterday, that we might rely on His leading and on His guidance and on His power and on His love. That's what we do when we take communion. And our prayer team is all around the room. And they want to pray with you and for you to strengthen you. And we have the offering boxes. We give back to God from his generosity towards us. And then we have this beautiful art display. Thanks to our sister Angie Campbell and other artists from Laguna Beach. Beautiful pictures that help us remember the love of God. So listen, don't leave. Walk around this room. Dialogue with God. Be with him. Thank him. Ask him. Talk to him. And then let's gather together and worship. Let's sing to this God who loves us beyond measure. Are you in? All right, let's go. Let's respond. As you leave today, I want to read for you from Psalm 16, a psalm about confidence in the Lord. And I pray that these words would hold you as the minute we walk out of those doors, right, the world comes at us. And I want you to hold that confidence that you experienced today. So put out your hands to receive God's blessing. Father, protect your children. Let them take refuge in you. You are our Lord. 
We have nothing good beside you. We delight in you, O oh God. We are strengthened by you. You are our portion, our cup of blessing. You hold our future in your hands. So, Father, would you bless your children with confidence and strength and power and peace in the truth that we learned today. Thank you for your unending, faithful, loyal, kind love towards us. We are renewed and refreshed by you. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's children say, Amen. Go in God's grace. Have a great week. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and His work together. Thanks again. Thanks again.